0: Oh well, yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. Speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. I now the time, baby, but I nothing to say. It's a
1: All right, folks. Welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I am your host, Jackson McDonald. With me, as usual.
2: Hey, everybody. It's the and Hoy. And joining us today,
1: uh, longtime fan favorite Canucks uh, defenseman Yerky Lume. Yerky, how's it going? That's I think good, we've made that be joke back. before. You uh, did uh, the
3: first time, but it's it's, it's just as fresh. It's Yerky Twenty
1: One, everybody. <laughs> longtime friend of the show. Um, here to. Yeah. Among other things, promote uh, the new book uh, version of Benning on Empty," which uh, I've seen like photos of it on Twitter. It looks amazing. Um,
2: Yurki, did when, did you ever think that you would write a book?
3: <laughs> like,
2: this kind I don't know of what book your or career just in general? is, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious, I'm just curious. Like, what if you knew 20 years ago, 30 years ago that you wrote a book? Like, did you ever anticipate this?
3: Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess before like the advent of internet self-publishing, it wouldn't have seemed all that likely. But uh, Mm -hmm. once I got deep enough into these strips, I think the possibility of issuing it as a book already crossed my mind, like maybe at the halfway nice. point, just because there were, there were enough of them. And a few people had mentioned the idea to me. So I thought if there was demand, I would do it. And I ran a poll uh, shortly after the management changes asking if I yeah. did it, would there be interest? And I, I, it was actually more impressive than I thought it would be. A lot of people said they did want it. So uh, during the, uh, you know, the quiet time over winter break at work, uh, I stayed up slightly too late a few nights in a row and <laughs> hammered out a lot of explanations and, and threw it together pretty fast.
1: I don't think that I've awesome. ever actually had the opportunity to ask you
3: this, but what inspired you to do these from the beginning? You mean like yeah, uh, yeah,
1: like initially? Well,
3: the, well, the, the Canucks had a, a general manager named Jim Benning, um, and he, he was—he was very bad. Uh, it's you may recall. It's uh, oh, he was the last guy, in fact. Um, yes. No, in all seriousness, I—I I started doing the comics in Benning's second year. Uh, he was really bad right away, right? The, the very first slew of decisions that he made on that first draft weekend of 2014 left a real sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. And those are, you know, the, if there's a tendency, it was those who tend to be maybe more pro-analytic, pro-determined mm-hmm. you know, a- approach to managing the team, i.e. rebuild or whatever you want to call it, but something where there's a yep. bit more of a, a plan than, than they would later show to have. And so immediately when they were doing things like signing an expensive starting goalie and using the draft pick on a local kid to make a splash, the analytics guys were saying not to take. And there was a lot of questionable reasoning from the get go, but a lot of people at least gave him, I don't know if it was the benefit of the doubt or if it was just kind of the, the new car smell in that first year Mm -hmm. where you don't want to jump too much of a conclusion, even though anyone who saw, for example, that video of him in Boston, when he was, (laughs) <laughs> advocating for, for trading Tyler Sagan. I <laughs> already, yeah. already knew what we were getting into, right? Like it's sometimes if it quacks like a duck, it's a dock. And, yeah. and so that first year, the team was doing a little bit better. And so, you know, for all, I would say I, and already a good number of people, really didn't have a lot of confidence in management we weren't gonna freak out too much about it. And then then there were the two contract extensions, right? The on Dorset on the same day. Mm-hmm. A day that, that will live in infamy. That will <laughs> and for good reason, right? It's one yeah. of those one of those things where it was immediately evident the second they did it that one, that it was a bad idea, and that two, that Lawrence Gilman was probably not involved. And that was the first sign of him yeah. being on he his was way gone not, not too far after. Absolutely. And that ended up being actually the subject of the first comic. But yes, um, that's right. So to get there in a second, though, so the, you know, that that year came and went, we had a lot of questions about the 2015 playoffs with the way the bench was run and how much the team kind of shot themselves in the foot. And once more, even though that's more coaching, it was very symptomatic of kind of things from the top down, not mm-hmm. being as maybe well thought out as the previous administration had been. And by the second year, when things kind of predictably went into the crapper, uh, it I, I just sort of assumed that everyone saw it that way because why wouldn't you, right? Like it's the, the cause and effect was, was there for everyone to see. The decision-making was bad. The team was now underperforming. They weren't benefiting from the, the dead cat bounce that they had had in that first, mm. first uh, Benning year. And they had kept making all these personnel moves that were moving them backward, right? This was also, this is kind of when the golden age of Canucks podcasting started too. And so that's kind of when I started uh, tuning into real good show, for example. And yes the host there had had very similar viewpoints as well and and so it was easy to think okay this is actually quite quite common that people are catching on to this and benning is probably going to be gone by the end of this year because we have <laughs> a very impatient ownership group and which you know which justified to think at the time and so about halfway through that second year, um, I think it was around the time when they traded Hunter and Carrick, and that ended up being not important particularly. But it was another one of those things where it seemed petty. At the important, right? Yeah, it seemed like oh, that's a that's a Gillis first. It's Stratico
1: still a Hunter. trade that you lose like eight out of ten times. Yeah,
3: that's yeah. The insane. reasoning behind it just wasn't that sound. Actually, just kind of. I deep. shouldn't
1: even say that. It's probably not a trade you lose eight out of ten times. It's just when you lose it, you lose bad. And when you yeah. win it, you get Marcus Granlund, who <laughs> no one, who who may be capti- captaining the non NHL team Finland at the Olympics this year. <laughs>
3: <a> KHL <laughs> now, but, yeah. But all I was to say anyway is that it just it seemed that all the chickens were coming home to roost, and you know, like I said, I probably overestimated the extent to which there was consensus in the fan base about that. And so I thought I would I would do something entertaining that we could all sort of laugh about it together again with the assumption that this probably wasn't going to last very much longer, and so I, I just put out that one issue. Um, I didn't have a lot of followers on Twitter. I, I posted it to HF boards first, and then I, I stuck it on Twitter as well, and then I tagged a few of the the like sports radar accounts just you know so that somebody would see it. And Jason Botchford quote tweeted it with the word wow, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and that actually you know I doubled my followers that day from like you know 14 to 28 or whatever and, yes <laughs> uh, and uh and and people you know there was a lot of strong reaction at that point it was mostly positive right the the like the anger and the jeers didn't come until a little bit later at that point i'd say anyone who saw it pretty much agreed with the direction um yeah or, i or, i
1: want uh, to just interject here like bending on empty was definitely uh polarizing uh for a good like <laughs> for a good time uh But uh, I was once told by the managing editor at Canucks Army at the time not to include betting on empty uh, strips as like reference point. (laughs) uh, Because I wrote some article about like just how the Canucks basically were known around the league as having the stupid guy gm obviously i didn't put it that way <laughs> and i wanted to just like be like yeah this shit is so bad that there's literally a comic about how stupid he is and i think it was <laughs> jd actually typical jd bad guy was like you, you can't you can't do that
3: <laughs> I, I thought you were protecting him because i knew it was him but okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. I i'm trying to do the
4: math on who it would have been
3: It's funny you say that, too, because if you uh, if you Google, there's a YouTube channel called Urinating Tree. And I actually don't know that much about them, but they have another a number of videos where they make fun of sports franchises. And there's one that's uh, called Vancouver Canucks Professional Hockey's LOL Cow, like L O L C O W. Yes. Oh, my God. And they actually uh, they found unbeknownst to me at the time. I actually forget how I discovered it. I think someone forwarded it to me. Um, But they showed one of my strips and they actually voiced it out. Like oh, that's they, great. Like, performed it, so to speak. Uh, because oh, that was that was their point. It's like, hey, their own fans are, are trashing the team in, in comic strips. Um, but you know, uh, once
2: once like fringe festivals come back, uh, we should do a one man show. Honestly, <laughs>
4: we should do a three man show of betting on empty strips. Yeah, Th- that would be I great, just honestly. I just watched
2: Macbeth the other night, and so I'm uh I'm raring to go. Something
1: that also, would be fun to really do for quickly the sorry for the patreon yeah. would be a couple of like live read uh Leads? yeah like, <laughs> like strips i think that would be funny a
2: couple of yeah you've already done about. the material for us and
1: i can do i you know like my bending is pretty good i, I like yeah well we're, so. hopefully
2: that'll come out soon uh i'll really quickly do something i don't usually do something defensive by uh, jd jd likes loves the comics oh yeah absolutely <laughs> what you're imagining it like this is not he was trying to be, to be professional you. Yeah, I wasn't approved. Yeah.
1: See, whereas but... when I yeah, was the yeah. managing editor, I still want it,
2: people getting mad at JD, If it hadn't yeah. been yeah.
1: well established by then, I would have been like, "Come publish these on Canucks." <laughs>
3: <laughs> I probably
1: wouldn't. They probably would have uh, like gone over my head and told me not to. But <laughs> uh, um,
3: yeah. But anyway, so that I, I started doing them quite regularly after that kind of trade deadline point, I guess, of, of the second season. And when the I was most prolific in Benning's third season where the team, you know, continued on its downward spiral and I was certain he was gone at the end of that contract or at the end of, feel, yeah. no, it wasn't a contract year. Sorry. It was, yeah, it was just the end of that season because again, the ownership had shown zero patience. Desjardins, we all knew was on the way out, you know, that was being rumored well ahead of it happening. I never could have guessed it would last as long as it did. I still don't fully understand it. You know, we've, last time I was on, we speculated a little bit about the reasons I think, but um, it uh, you know I, what I said then is that Benning won. He beat me like he yeah he outlasted me, <laughs> but it, it wasn't from anything he did. Right, <laughs> it was <laughs> not a credit to him. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just they you know they picked up enough steam that uh, people started looking forward to them, and so that it becomes kind of a self perpetuating cycle where you have uh, you, you want to get them out to you know both for entertainment purposes and because you know it was it was a way to, to maintain sanity as well. It was a very difficult time to be a fan and uh one thing that i mentioned in the book too is that it also you know you see this a lot in real life too with i guess like hard times economically or whatnot a lot of creativity comes out of these things and i'm not i'm not talking about myself here i'm not just yanking my own chain but canucks twitter and the online canucks community really had a a heyday over these you know last eight years and maybe some of that's Mm -hmm. just the timing of where we're at in terms of internet culture and online sports discourse and all but it uh you know the there's always a silver lining to these things and i I feel that a lot of people really found their voice and so this was mine it was uh i like doing graphics i you know there's since i was a kid i used to do like comic strips and stuff and art class or whatever and so this was just kind of a fun outlet to at least have something have a have a reason to follow the team i guess in some way (laughs) Um, and you know at, at least get a message out uh to the greater public and once uh you know i learned ultimately through jason botchford that there it was getting circulated around the league and that there were uh, team officials reading it and you know like people asking him who i was i was I was very floored at the time like it i i don't want to you know say that that i had any real influence but the mere you know that sort of this democratization of of everything on the internet uh this is one manifestation of it right it's like random people can get their voices out there and you never really know who's listening. Cause it's, that was absolutely not true a generation ago. Right. There's just absolutely nothing you could do.
2: I'm going to, yeah. uh, wait, wait, gonna... J- Jackson, Sorry. is it a secret, uh, who the biggest name is that has been reading Benning on empties? I think it
1: technically is, but I'm, I've decided now it's been long enough that I'm going <laughs> to do the thing that I do where I, I, uh, I reveal the state secrets, which is that, uh, Apparently, Lawrence Gilman read one of these strips and thought that Yerki worked for the organization, <laughs> no, <laughs> which, just I,
2: an alumni.
3: which is so funny. Um, yeah. I have at least one other name, too, which which makes me chuckle that I'm not going to say here. Fair enough. Fair
2: enough. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I, the, the
1: Lawrence Gilman one has been out there like in back channels for long enough that I feel yeah. like it's I one of those it. things. That that Lawrence Gilman's a freebie
4: because everyone will just think we're making a joke about pet bugs.
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
4: Um, do you have was a favorite Is that a rumor that Pet Bugs was Lawrence
1: Dolan? It was a meme. It was like oh. a joke that went around for a long <laughs> got time. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah, do you know. have a favorite strip, Murky?
3: Of my own? Uh, yeah. The one that I think I got the biggest kick out of doing was one of the special episodes where I, you know, I, I said it as part of a TV show or something. And it was the Gilligan's Island one, which oh, um, yeah. A lot of the people who who read them are a lot younger than me. <laughs> And yes. I honestly don't have a good read. A lot of people on Canucks Twitter even know what Gilligan's Island is. <laughs> and uh, and it got a lot of, a lot of positive reactions. So that was fun.
1: Awesome. Uh, my personal favorite. I may have mentioned this on the show before, but, but it was definitely when. Uh, it's the one where Jim Benning does like the fresh Prince like style rapping. <laughs> that one fucking killed me every time I read it. Like I, I, I can't remember any of it, but I just like the 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 way it, it just it perfectly mimicked that like you know like like late 70s early 80s like sugar hill gang like i went to the hat store today and i bought myself a hat you know like that kind of thing i stole that from donald glover just fyi because i don't want to i don't want people to think i stole that joke um but uh yeah uh that one was my favorite i don't know about you guys but
4: I Definitely remember the one where you did the Mad Magazine fold in, like, oh, yeah, I don't I remember, like to what that. the joke was, but I just remember that you did that, and I was just really impressed that you pulled that off.
3: So, that I, one I, I had to note in the book too. That one I, I had to compromise a lot on the actual content to make it work, you can imagine. Because,
2: yeah, I'm, hard cur- to find I'm curious, can, can you tell us, like, uh, what kind of decisions did you have to make when you're making the book? Uh, and did you make any additions also? Yeah,
3: so the, the book is not just the strips, certainly. Um, it's the, the quality you know the print quality this is like a self-publishing site called blurb so i'm not gonna pull any punches here the quality is not outstanding um i mean it's readable but like uh yeah. if you go online and just go to my, my tumblr or to the twitter account you can you know zoom and <laughs> you'll get a much clearer picture sure. uh so that's not right, even right, the main right. selling point here it's uh, i put in commentary for each strip so i i talked about Sometimes. either kind of what i was you know it's some of them are actually not so obvious with the passage of time either because they rely on inside jokes like even once or twice i had to check myself like was this something i was just thinking or was this something that i read in the news <laughs> sure and <laughs> and so uh you know there's a sometimes a refresher about what was being referenced because you know just as a bit of a guidepost or something interesting about it for example that gilligan's island when i just pointed out i actually did that one on vacation i i did that one in, in a quebec city airbnb um just you know little factoids for whatever people might find interesting. And then there's an introduction section, which is kind of some of the things I've been talking about here, the origin of the, the strip and you know, how uh, how Botchford kind of got it off the ground. And then there's an oh, epilogue at the fine. end where it's kind of more straight hockey talk about why it is that I don't hesitate to call the Benning era as the darkest period in team history, even though mm-hmm. there, there were times when the team was worse in the standings and they had been through all this. Um, and there's an, a, an acknowledgments page at the end where you guys are mentioned, so.
2: Oh, hell yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That rocks. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Erky. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I, was, I was gonna say I'm so excited to get my hands in a copy with the commentary attached because even when I've gone back to the Tumblr and read old ones, I don't have the best memory. Uh, there's, y- you are so good at bringing up nuanced inside jokes uh, and references to what was going on that realistically, only like a thousand people being extremely generous might get. Yeah. so I'm super excited to read it with, with the commentary. Um, I don't cover everything, I,
3: right? It's, it's not like that comprehensive uh, Simpsons guide that like points out every joke you may have missed or that. Kind of, I, I sort of did that if I thought something wasn't obvious, like especially where I used a foreign language or something, but um <laughs> You know, sometimes I didn't have that much to say, and other times it's a lot more circumstantial about the making of the strip than the actual content. But um, right. yeah, I I hope it's enjoyable. I, it's a coffee table book at the end of the day, and I know no one's going to be sitting there reading it like a chapter book, and that's fine. And oh. I, I should point out, except for two, us, really... except for all three of
2: us. <laughs> I'm, I'm, dude, I'm so excited to have like my first like coffee table book I like. Like I, I <laughs> yeah, I go you're you're about. To I, I was just going to say
3: I'm not making any money off of this too. I should point out. So I you know I I enjoy the, if people buy it, but it's not because uh, it helps my bottom line. The, uh, I, I, I think I take 50 cents off of the hardcover um, just to recoup some costs and the, the eBooks, mm-hmm. uh, I actually, I had to pay myself to convert them. So, and, and the site messed them up. So I had to do it three times. Oh, uh, well, man, that's like,
0: sure.
3: <laughs> if any of your oh, listeners sure. bought an ebook by the way, um, and it's the messed up version, please send me a DM or something because I have corrected it now and I can send you the updated one, but uh, that's the only one where I'm actually making any money to recoup those
2: costs. And he's at yurky21 on Twitter. Um, And for our Patreon subscribers, uh, I haven't gotten around to it just yet, hopefully by the end of the night I do, tonight's uh, January 23rd, we're watching the the game where there might potentially be, a what's his name, Rory? Ryland Toth. Yeah. rylan Toth may play a game tonight anyways i was going to say that character um, from the
1: empire strikes back
2: <laughs> on top of buying myself a copy i'm going to buy five copies using the patreon money wow. and we're just going to pick up names out of a hat uh, for our patreon subscribers except for your keys uh yes. <laughs> and uh and we're, and we're just gonna and we're just gonna just give them away uh to our uh, to our listeners because we assume our listeners will understand the book very well and and also we've uh, we've had a very extremely top security last couple of months um and so we, we owe some content <laughs> so um so stay tuned for that um but otherwise uh i just want to do like the book plug ahead of time um before we we get to some other content and the, also just talking about Benning um on his own but where can the good people find your book
3: the best way to do it is probably to go to my Twitter account. And I've pinned the tweet that has the links to both the the hard copies in the, the ebook it was originally one link but because of that aforementioned screw up i had to reissue the ebook under a separate isbn number basically so mm-hmm. uh there are two links yeah i go to at 21 or at betting on empty and look at the, twi- the pin tweet there and you can follow the link to the blurb website if you just go to blurb.ca and you they have a bookstore link you can also search betting on empty and i at least the hard copy version will come up if not both
2: i have a random question that just came out in my head now do people in your family or in your real life, like, know you do this, and what? what <laughs> and what do they think?
3: <laughs> what do they uh, think? <laughs> yeah, so they didn't for a long time. Um, a, a few people did. I have uh, I have a cousin, for example, who will definitely be listening to this uh, episode, and he did know. Um, I gradually, people started finding out actually, and um, at one point, my real life sister started following my yerky 21 account and i soft blocked yeah. her because <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I take great pains to keep, keep myself anonymous on, on that side of twitter so Fair enough. Yeah. uh yeah
2: yeah i've done that i've done that with people before
3: <laughs> i i will I'm actually tell people. you i'll tell you an anecdote uh after we record uh about kind of a an intersection with my real life and some of the stuff too oh boy that'll awesome. be funny um Vias mentioned,
1: I just want to get this out there before I forget that, uh, we are watching the Canucks game tonight, uh, between the Canucks and the blues. Mikey DiPietro is starting. Uh, I think that that is very funny because they are once again in a scenario where Mikey DiPietro is their only goalie. Um, obviously this time it's not their fault. It's COVID's fault, but, uh, I just like to remember that time that that happened because it was one of the funnier things of the Benning regime, in my opinion. But, um, about it, yes, Uh, I have have
2: a sag in to talking about Benning now and like what your comments are.
1: It's, I I gotta, we gotta get this out there because we planned we were gonna do it. Uh, oh, before we started, this is also Bruce Boudreaux's 1000th game as an NHL coach, right? And we were asking before the show if any Canucks coach had ever hit that milestone at behind the Canucks bench. And I don't believe it's the case. I believe Boudreau is the first one because I believe pretty much everyone else, except for maybe one guy, but I'm going to hold off on guessing. Uh, the Canucks have generally gone with rookie coaches or like relatively green coaches, like Elaine. Villanueva. Guys in their
2: second or third job. I one, guess. yeah,
1: had like one team that he'd coached for before in a head co- head coaching role. So Elliot, you said that there's one coach that came very close, right?
4: One coach missed it by five games.
1: Okay. <laughs> do we, we want to? Guess? Do we want to? Yeah, let's go around and guess. Um, this is probably I'm, wrong, but I'm gonna say John Tortorella. <laughs>
2: Oh shit! Um, I got holy. Um, I'm just gonna try to guess Mark Crawford here,
3: and I'll go with Mike Keenan.
4: Yeah, it was Mike Keenan. Yeah, he missed it that by makes five sense. games. Oh, he That's... missed it by five. He got fired on his 995th NHL game. Good. God bless. <laughs> yeah, it thank God that didn't happen. That, that would suck so much. Um, Torts was like, where are you looking
2: at this, by the way? I'm just adding up on Wikipedia. Okay.
4: Yeah. Um, Torts missed it by like, not that much.
1: Yeah. I I Uh, was thinking it could have been him because, you know, he had a long.
4: If there, uh, if he played a second season or coached for a second season, he would have had it. That would
1: have been really funny (laughs) if that happened. Of course, I would have been all over it, but.
2: I, I looked up my Keenan's uh, Wikipedia page and like what, one of the one of the subcategories like KHL career and I just had the thought that like finding out somebody in the NHL was in the KHL briefly like not starting out as a rookie is kind of like finding out some guy you know took a trip to Thailand alone. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it's kind
1: of <laughs> sus. Yeah, it is. It's like, uh, why'd you do that exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna say too, with all the stuff that's come out about Jake Fertanan, Reed Boucher, and Brendan Leipzig, I definitely agree with Yerki that like the Benning era tops the messier Keenan era in terms of uh I, darkness. And I know that the the obvious Yeah, like, on top of losing. Like ob- the obvious case is that it was just yeah. longer, but like that really seals the deal for me, having those three guys. Uh, but it's like the it's team, maybe even at bad... the same time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah,
3: worst crew I, I, ever. I think it's not even close. The Messier was so short, or sorry, well, yeah, the Messier itself was, was three years. Keenan was one and a half, and the scorched earth actually allowed a rebuild that made the team competitive for Good. you know a, a yeah. decade.
2: Yeah. Um. So going to talking about Benning, we I want to seg into it by saying. You referenced a piece of art that uh, <clears throat> that uh, you enjoyed doing, and I think it's the same one as the Mad Magazine one that you talked about. But could you tell us how you ended up getting a sign into Rogers Arena? Not not you physically doing it, but the right. one that the Finn one. Could you could you walk us through how you got the? I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Uh, my, my buddy's name. There. Just call him. But small, he's sample small sample small size. Small sample size. Small sample size. Yeah, SML. yeah. I'm
3: not sure uh, how open he is because uh, I, I think he he doesn't mind. But I, but yeah, for the sake of argument, we'll he, he was size.
2: once he was once uh, a chair at a model UN I went to. That's how I became president. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, but.
4: Yeah. Because, you know we have listeners who would probably be able to look up like every chair of a model UN that you went
2: to.
1: <laughs> somebody's <laughs> no. gonna do this, somebody's gonna do this justified note who this Luckily, it's probably a guy who's
4: mutual friends with you in small sample size. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um...
1: yeah this is the Finn is the best at winning sign, yeah, correct? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, And then so... you fold it in and it turns into fire Benning yes it's just... genius
3: so I, I originally came up with that idea um before i did the betting on empty strips so I, I think it was in 2018 uh where there was already rumors about the rogers reno staff sort of cracking down on descent. um i i wasn't sure how true that was until it actually happened to small sample size to be honest like i i can kind of imagine it but uh mm-hmm. and then there was the the story you know where uh uh, Ryan Classic from Senator's Twitter had his Melnick outside on the front front row of Rogers Arena, not even not even here in Ottawa. And uh, he was asked to to either lose the sign or leave the building. And so, Ooh. you know, what happens all that. That's targeting ownership. So I, I'm less surprised by that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so when rumors surface that they don't allow that, I just so I, I, I came up with that idea. I was just trying to think, well, what, what could you spell with fire banning? And uh there's probably a few things out there, but as long as the mascot does begin with an FI, that was a good starting point. So yes, it was Finn, you're the best at winning.
1: that's what it was. It was yes. Course, Finn, you're yeah. the best at winning. Oh, yeah. Funny. Yeah.
3: Which of course makes no sense, but whatever, yeah. they're not they're not vetting like you know, the 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 grammatical integrity of these signs as you come into the arena. Um and so I just tweeted that and people were amused at the time. And I think I, I stuck that on, on HF boards as well. And then I never really thought anyone would do it, uh, but then, uh, toward, toward the end, you know, the kind of what, um, what got referred to by a, a guy I follow online as the, uh, the four seasons landscape, the total landscaping uh, era of, of the Benning time, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the days the, of lead, the, the farcical <laughs> end, end times. Yeah and uh and people were talking about you know various acts of protest at the games themselves and so i forget if small sample size approached me or if i just resurfaced the idea but somehow i think he he just dm'd me to say i'm I'm actually going to do this and so i said that's awesome really okay good luck and and so uh yeah he he made a real life version of the sign um, I had I had Finn in the middle so that he disappeared completely when you folded the sign and it just said nothing other than fire benning, but he didn't do that in his first first version. So he had to add Finn on the side. So even when you folded it, it just said it looked like it was a whale saying to fire benning, basically. Um, <laughs> but he did sneak it through security. And uh, and he did, like, he, he was sending me DMs throughout the game, basically, like, as a progress report. It was <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and he, at some point, unfurled the whole thing. Or I guess it's the opposite. He furled it he, he, yeah, <laughs> yes. to, to show the message. And all all I know is that uh, he was told that he had to lose the sign. And they they took it away from him. And someone a few rows behind him was filming it. And the fans around did boo, which was awesome. They, yeah, uh, that's great. They expressed their discontent. And then... Um, yeah, so that that got a fair bit of chatter. I know uh, the his tweet showing the sign uh, blew up a little bit, and uh, the Steve Dangle podcast talked about it. Oh, uh, That's funny. Podcast yeah. did it was it was it was pretty fun. Yeah, notable no, fans signs, of real good show.
2: <laughs> like I I totally maintain that Benning doesn't get fired unless people bring in those signs. Like you don't you don't get people to start chanting. You don't get people to start. People in the media to start talking about it as a serious thing. Uh until you make a splash like that. And so uh, you small sample size and uh I forget that other guy's name. Um, but uh there's there was somebody else. Oh, the guy who had the jersey that had fire yeah, on the jersey, I think. Chester oh yeah, it was so it wasn't
1: fire yeah. it was thank you, Jim. Thank yeah. you, so with yeah. just the names of every bad Canuck that has been acquired <laughs> over the past like, oh, nice. eight. and he had
3: some great signs too, right? He had the original uh, man so tight, almost like a playoff game sign, I think, which I I copied <laughs> uh, for the, the what ended up being yeah. Benning's last road game here in Ottawa. Uh, I kind of did a drawing of that actual tweet and oh, yeah. uh, and had that at the game. Um, I also want to you, and you out, didn't
2: get in trouble with that, right?
3: No, nope, no, no. Oh, my God. The folks in Ottawa were like... I mean, uh, Ottawa is like... This is like, you know, child's play compared to some of the more intense markets. Like, they're, they're just happier at the game, right? Uh, the, the, the Usher...
4: <laughs> yeah. And you roll really all the Canucks. <laughs> what do they
3: care? Yeah, I mean, like, half the arena are Canuck fans, too. I think you get that with any Canadian team just because there's, there's so many migrants to Ottawa. But um, the Usher was asking me who Benning was. And then when I explained uh he he said oh but you know he got tyler myers that guy's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his right. defense um but he totally allowed us because the you know between covid and the senators being bad the arena was not very full and the folks around us were mostly canuck fans so we we had most of a, an empty us, and i just I, I brought a whole bunch of signs uh, all vel- velcroed together in an effort to Hell like yeah. i thought i thought i'd get in trouble if i had like too much signage especially because some of them were kind of mean-spirited uh the okay. gar- the folks at the entrance completely caught on he's like okay can you can you separate them show me all of them and i like i, I thought it was ingenious <laughs> i had little bits of velcro on the corners and everything like it wasn't obvious That's but amazing uh, but yeah, so I separated them all and I, I was just, I was waiting for the shoe to drop and he's like, yeah, no, we just to make sure there's, there's no profanity. I was like, oh, and they, okay, that case we're good. Uh, and yeah, so I just, I laid them all out and, um, you know, rotated them because they were double-sided. Uh, and I, I don't <laughs> think any TV cameras picked them up, but, uh, the, the Canuck fans around us, again, some of whom had never heard of Jim Banning, I should point out, but, uh, they were still oh, amused nice. by it. Um, and the, and the other name I wanted to shout out was the guy who goes by uh, at Sports Faucet as well. He was uh, oh, yes. one of the you know, ringleaders in the in the the crowds at uh, Rogers Arena as well, kind of getting getting some attention. And uh, he may have even been one of the ones that uh, who's I want to say Little Red, but that's from that's from my day. Who's the the guy with the drum at, at the arena? Oh, uh, Crazy P. Crazy Pete, yeah, right. I mean, he was like going after folks. I, I think he was one of the people who who faced the wrath of of Crazy Pete. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: So, do we want to get
1: to the the main event here?
2: I I think I had one last thought. Okay, it's that I know that there's been a few Canucks Twitter people who've been cleverly going on to Edmonton Radio lately, right after oh, yeah. some big Edmonton losses, and just making the case for Jim Benning. Um, I would like to make the case uh, in one sentence: is you should start making Benning on empties. Oh wait, I had a better thought, but if Benning gets rehired somewhere or gets hired somewhere else, would you ever consider, uh, would you, would you put out another comic?
3: I I think no. I think if I was ever going to do it again, it would probably more likely either be about ongoing funny stuff with the Canucks themselves. It just would be less about management or it would be something maybe more generically about the league. I've done that a few times too, right? I'll just tweet like a one panel comic, making fun of something like the department of play. Oh yeah. 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 Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a full time thing coming back. The, uh, the The book was kind of the retirement project, if you will. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I, I've already been quite a bit less active on Twitter, I'd say these days. Yeah, but, fair uh, enough. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I like poking fun at things. It's kind of what I do. And so that that will probably never go away in form of tweets or, or the odd meme or what have you.
1: I uh, am mm-hmm. away from my phone and the keyboard on my computer right now, but somebody makes sure to let David Quadrelli know that Alex Chason had the primary assist on that power play <laughs> goal. Um, let's use that. With what,
2: what you and David are fighting. About <laughs> what all me and time. are fighting about. It. I enjoy um, it, um, but I have no idea who likes Chason and who doesn't.
1: Uh, I ostensibly, I like Chase on, but it's only because JD and I jumped down his throat for <laughs> saying that he'd rather have Zach McEwen than Chase on because Chase on doesn't do anything. And I was like, look, man, anything's better than Zach McEwen. And my, I was proven correct because Chase on has actually done something and Zach McEwen has, is still stuck at three points. Um, my biggest beef yeah, is Chase on a, Chara. Very poorly. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair
3: enough. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the Blues scored. Um, I, no. I was just going to say my biggest beef uh, is just that uh, you Anglo-Canadians can't pronounce Chasson.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that is true, but I think <laughs> I think he he's like where is he from? Because I'm pretty sure he pronounces it Chasson. Which it's is... a New Brunswick <laughs> name,
3: so he has roots there for sure. But OK, uh, yeah, so he, he might pronounce it. A Chasson,
1: then. Yeah. I remember when I feel like there was a time where I I heard someone pronounce it like the French way, but yeah, that was a really nice goal. All right, so oh, that reminds me. me. There's actually one last before we move on to the to what we had planned for this episode. I also just wanted to ask, uh, what do you think about the new uh, the new direction, the new hires? And uh, oh, we should we should mention too that uh, it was just announced yesterday that the Canucks hired Rachel Dory in a in an analytics role um that's the second person. ryan beach is still alive that's actually the third ryan beach is still alive that's actually the third person uh who has appeared on a podcast that i've produced that got a job from the podcast i'm just kidding um that's not true
2: uh <laughs> but i would like to think you, you should true. you should be a guest in your own podcast i should yes sure <laughs>
3: But, well, yeah, to, to answer your question, it's like, it's still hard to get a read, right? They A yeah. lot of things they say are the right things. Um, I'm still probably leaning more toward they still need to do a bit of a rebuild, more yeah. so that I'm kind of nervous that maybe Rutherford is thinking. Um, and, you know, like, it's, I'm cheering for the team and all, but this hot streak they've been on since Budo joined is not necessarily going to serve them that well if it really does lead to some mm-hmm. more myopic decision-making so that remains to be seen i love the rachel dory hire i've i've been a fan of her since i've found out about her and she's you know she's very intelligent and she was very critical of the last management which for me is an absolute you know precondition mm-hmm. for yep. yeah quite for notably <laughs> on
1: a couple of occasions yeah uh, so it's that's, that's good to see mentioned a really interesting thing when she was on uh controlled entries that I thought was like really interesting, really interesting. Um, She basically talked about like either her or like someone that she knew was developing a, a way to like quantify hockey sense that sounded very like, like a lot of that kind of thing can sound very like Theranos when uh, you get into the details, but the way she described it, it actually made a lot of sense. Like it had to do with like basically tracking, like, where players were looking Hmm. at a given like moment or whatever and i was like damn that sounds that sounds extremely advanced um and a lot more like uh a lot more legit than you know john chica measuring people's skull plate size (laughs) or whatever so um yeah yeah. all right
3: we'll see what they do with the the gm position though you know it's in Part of me feels that it's really going to just be Jim Rutherford who is the GM, no matter. Who, I kind of feel like that first too. First-timer. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and it seems like it's going to be a rookie who's going to get it. Yeah, they're going to hire a
4: rookie GM, so Rutherford can just do whatever he wants. But that's yeah. That might be fine. And
2: at this point, anything is better than
3: Benning. You know, with the yeah. exception maybe of of doing another Benning, like if they if Ken Holland were available and doing what he's doing in Edmonton for Vancouver. Surelly, for sure, rally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where I was um, going to go with that. Yeah. And, and rather fit is, he's definitely a member of the old boys club, but he's already, you know, he's, he's done better than a lot of them. So it's, it's a better starting point for sure. And uh, you know, if he's able to, if already he's showing he's taking analytics seriously and is, is looking to kind of think outside the box a little bit more and he's had success in the past with other franchises, it's, 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 it bodes well.
1: All right. Well, I think we can move on now, finally to uh, what we had planned for this episode, which uh, shall shall I explain it, or should one of
2: you guys explain it? You can you can go ahead. Okay, <clears throat> I, mean, well, I, I think it's pretty pretty. It'll be pretty clear. But.
1: Yeah. So we've been discussing for a while, like behind the scenes, we wanted to do an episode where we kind of chart out some alternate histories based on uh, pivotal moments in Canucks history, and there there was one particular uh, incident that I'm saving for the end. That's like. Uh, sort of a pet you know thing of mine or whatever uh that inspired this but we wanted to we wanted to discuss this with Yerky because out of everyone that we've had on the show I think he kind of has like the longest uh memory span for this kind of stuff and could help us out with uh some of the stuff that happened when we were a little too young in the early 90s to to remember um so we just kind of wanted to go through, I think we have probably like 10 or 15 different sort of, uh, to borrow a term from another podcast, hinge points um, in Canucks history where things could have gone perhaps a different way if uh, they elected to do something or not do something. So Vias, I believe you have the master list, do you not?
2: I do. It is a long list. Oh, We're really? potentially going to get through all of them today, but. They are the kinds that we can keep revisiting. Yes, um, and I will say that most of these go in the direction of how much better could we have been? Yeah, absolutely. At X, yeah. Y, yeah. If that happened. Not all. I do. Not, yeah, not all of them. And and also, I think some of our analysis and and response to some of these questions are going to be they don't necessarily get better. I do absolutely. just want, but just for later. Like another episode, it would be fun to just go down the list of ways it could have been even worse, just yeah. to see if it could have actually been
1: worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean like, yeah. the most obvious one for that one, and I don't know if it's on your your list, but the the most obvious one for that one would be the Canucks or uh, the Chicago Blackhawks score on the power play in twenty eleven, and the Slay the Dragon goal never happens. I that think, would probably but, be disastrous.
2: You're, oh, you're okay. You know what? How about we just fucking start with that one? Sure, I have an argument where the whole thing about that radio all week, ever since Chicago came back from, from down 3 1 or 3 0, was the teams didn't get blown up. Yeah, now yeah. they weren't gonna trade the city. I don't think that was gonna happen. I think maybe you trade Kessler, I think maybe you trade uh trade around the defense like what what are the obvious ways you could improve probably defense um
3: they would have fired vino probably definitely yeah, yeah i think yeah. they
2: definitely would have fired vino and now that means like we're, we're thinking about 2015 ish like oh we're trying to we really should do a rebuild to so the city get one last crack at it cities are in 2010 2011 form with a rebuild i kind of think some good stuff would have happened if uh was was it Patrick Kane or uh, Taves uh, score that one goal that Longo saved right at the end, or Burroughs doesn't score that? I mean,
1: here's the goal? here's the counterpoint to that. I mean, I guess having like I'm about to I'm about to make the opposite point, but I guess like if that never happens and they just stay the course, they they don't really get anywhere. Like their best playoff performance is against Calgary in 2015. <laughs> Um, but I guess like a part of me just thinks like, it's already so hard to build a team that good that we know ultimately like had it in them to go to the final that I, I have a hard time believing that it would have, that like, they would have been able to build anything better.
3: No, they wouldn't have been able to. And and yeah, there's an obvious cautionary tale there, right? Like it, it's the same team. So either, either team could have scored to win that game. So you would have basically blown up a team easily capable of winning the Stanley cup. And we know that because we saw the counterfactual to that. And yeah. it just, it yeah. shows that anytime that teams make rash decisions based on, especially single games, but any, any playoff result, it's usually very poorly thought out. And
4: the other mm-hmm. thing too, is like, even if you trade, you know, Kessler, Biexa, you let Eric walk, um, you trade Luongo in, Okay, you trade Luongo in 2011, you're actually probably getting a call for what you did get, even though the term was very good. Tyler Bozak, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you get Bozak, Kadri, and Kessel. Um, or whatever we'll it there. was. We'll there. But then, like, you're trying to bottom out. And then the thing that all the Jim Benning fans said was going to happen actually would happen because you're talking about the 2012 and then 2013 Sedins, who they actually would keep you from bottoming out. Yeah. So you still don't draft super high. You still don't pick whoever was at the top of the draft board in 20, whoever was like fifth to seventh in 2012, 2013, 2014. I mean, they were, they were 2014. Anyways, 2012
3: was a crap draft year. Anyway, it was really
4: bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we I think that's enough time on that one. So anyways, yeah, we can go to,
2: we can go to list now. Uh, the big thing that we wanted to talk about was Trevor Linden. Yeah, no, we're, we're saving that for the, the end. end. Come on. Oh, we're
1: saving that for oh. the Yeah, I just okay. said that. <laughs> Obviously. I've said
3: that like right. five times. Can I, can I uh, segue into, okay. into one that's similar to the last one we just did?
1: Yes. Yes.
3: So I want to talk about the 94 Cup Finals, because as you pointed out, I have more institutional memory than you guys, just because I'm older than you, which is also why I know that Mass Romantic is a better song than whatever that Arrested Development cover band. No. <laughs> 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 Uh, those are
1: those are both bands from the same era too what are you talking about
3: <laughs> okay well one I know and the other I don't so that's the, the main
1: in fact uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm almost certain that mass Romantic came out later than I hear you calling but it's I'm possible. not I'm not it's possible I'm gonna okay uh, while you guys are doing this I'm gonna look this up
3: <laughs> okay so I'm gonna talk about game one of the 1994 Stanley Cup Finals because for those who do recall that series the Canucks won the first game in overtime then they lost three straight then they came back and won the next two big time and then barely lost game seven with some, some suspect officiating that we discussed last time I was on Um, in the overtime period of game one before the Canucks scored uh, Brian Leach rung a shot off the crossbar, which obviously easily could have gone in. If that shot goes in, there's a very real chance the Canucks lose that Stanley cup final in four straight. And we see it the same way we, we saw their final against the Islanders as in a, you know, an upstart who had no business being there who just got crushed by a, a steamroller rather than being like the most beloved team of all time that, you know, folks who, who love to dump on the 2011 team kind of wish they could be more like the 94 team. Uh, Brian Leach hitting iron right there absolutely altered the course of the franchise and the way we view it. Came out one month sting. earlier.
1: And, Fuck you. just <laughs> they, and Just saying. Mine came out one month earlier, just for the record. I want to, <laughs> I want that out there. One that month. Team wouldn't be, I win. That
2: team wouldn't be so wouldn't be so beloved we probably wouldn't get the Barry Zuckerman Dave babbage commercials that I so I so adore now
3: you know they'd still be one of the the, the farthest advancing teams in in well, they'd be in the exact same spot there now frankly but uh but yeah. yeah do they get trotted out for every last event the way they do now and you know treated it as it, you know that's that weird hockey thing that if like an underdog wins they get more beloved by the fans and if a team is just good from start to finish yeah absolutely uh, so yeah i think one interesting yeah there's
2: a chance like if the canucks win in 2011 there's a bunch of old farts still hold on it's like ah the 94 team was better they had more grit oh Oh, yeah
3: yeah. in real life
1: (laughs) yeah definitely i like there would be old man like Uh, hipster type opinions about how even though the 94 team lost, they were better. One thing, one sort of interesting side effect I think of if that happens and the Canucks, I guess, get swept um, in uh, against uh, the Rangers is I think the 82 team gets elevated a little bit more. True. I think they would be remembered a little bit more fondly because the 94 team doesn't just sort of like cancel
2: them uh, cancel them out, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And then a similar one, too, that... Uh, that yeah, uh, I probably
2: know their names more than...
3: Yeah. And, and 82 is also an example of that, too, right? It's like because the team was even worse than the 94 team, right? They actually had a losing record. Like, that somehow even makes it better for some reason <laughs> to, to fans. Like, oh, yeah, they were, mm-hmm. they were that much better than than the regular season. They were that much more random
1: of a yeah. winning team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, And then the other one related to that is uh, is Joel Otto kicking it in 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 1989, right? Another overtime goal one. This one, I think, does not affect the Canucks fortunes that much. I think if um, I I have the 89 playoff bracket in front of me. And so the after knocking out the and this was all divisional back then, right? So there was no reseeding. It was just you know each division had its own its own winner. So the Flames then beat the Kings in four straight. They beat the Blackhawks in five and the Habs in six. So the Canucks actually you know each, each round they decreased the game that they played. The Canucks gave them their their toughest run for their money, and it's it would be cute to think that had the Canucks upset them that they could have sort of replaced them in that chronology. I don't think they would have the, the Kings were, you know, the flames were way ahead of the Canucks in the standings, but the Kings were a fair bit as well. Uh, What I think does change is that people stop overrating the history of the Calgary flames, which apart from that one cup is like not that different from the Vancouver Canucks.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: And you would think talking to normal fans that like the flames and the Oilers are constantly mentioned in one breath and then, you know, the Canucks and the Jets, I guess, uh, of, of the Western Canadian teams are kind of the down in the dregs, but really the, the flames, like after that 89 finals, the flames did not win a playoff round until their run in 2004. Like they, they've had long periods of futility. Mm -hmm. And I think people kind of forget that based on a a copper bust mentality, which is not how real life works.
1: I just want to point out, uh, no one cares about this, but this uh suit jacket turtleneck combo that uh Murph <laughs> is rocking here looks fantastic. Um, anyways, suit
2: brown turtleneck,
1: let's uh let's move on to the next one on our master list here. Okay,
2: now mind you, these are not in chronological order, no, uh, they're just
1: we're just picking them out randomly. we will cool.
2: come in chunks. Uh, the next one I have written down is Pavel Beret. Now, this one, the notes I have written are from 1994 95 six season to 96 97. Bure only plays half the games. The years that they had, and these are the same years they had McGillney. So the question is what if he doesn't get injured for two seasons? What happens to the rest of the 1990s? Does yeah, the healthier
1: healthier Pavel Bure gets to play alongside Alex McGilney, which, <laughs> like, when you think back, that should have been like the height of the Canucks in the 90s. And it just absolutely yeah, did because not work out. I always,
2: at all. Yeah. I always forget that we had McGillney uh, at the same time. So part, it's kind of like a trivia thing for me personally, cause I didn't live through it, but on part balance,
1: McGillney might be like the second most talented player to ever play for the Canucks behind, mm-hmm. I would say like in their whole career, That's just me yeah. personally. Go ahead, yeah.
3: So, well, I was going to say, everyone remembers Bore going down or the, the year McGillney was acquired, Bore tore his ACL or MCL, one of them and missed most of the season. And so, you know, before the year, people were saying, how oh, the Canucks are going to be the top team in the West. And then uh, we never got to see it, but Borei eventually did come back. He, he was not nearly as productive his first, no, or, yeah, no, maybe he was. No, yeah, his first year back, was right. He, he wasn't nearly as productive. And then he had one really good season before being traded again. But the flip side of this is that McGillney himself was quite injury prone in the yeah. time that Borey was healthy. And so we, we always really just had one or the other and never both other than a, a very small smattering of games. And uh, I'm going to be a bit contrarian on this one. I don't know that it makes a big difference when all is said and done, because they had a lot of firepower up front.
4: What was that, Elliot? I don't see how it would make that much of a difference. Like, obviously, it would have been a lot more fun to watch those games. But that doesn't make that team – I don't know if that makes that team a contender. Oh, they're
1: showing the Hedberg –
4: Oh fuck, yeah,
1: yeah, they're showing the headburger uh, so
4: There's crazy. Chris Levesque
1: chewing that fucking gum. Hell yeah. I'm sorry. I'm totally I'm being like Vias- him so
2: well. I was I was such a big Hedberg fan. But I think the catalyst for also my feed is like a little bit back. Oh my god, Pertuzzi. Yeah, this is Pittsburgh, right? I hated these Pittsburgh jerseys. Yeah. Anyways, the reason why we were kind of bringing this question up was because Jackson has an like a valid obsession with. Just look at Pavel Bure's stats in Florida. Yeah, was it two straight seasons of sixty goals? or something that, like that one
1: particular that season, Vancouver. I yeah. don't know which one it. it which one it it's is? It's like ninety nine. But I think it's ninety nine two thousand. Pavel Bure had had. I, I'm gonna look this up. I just. I, have I think to... you're
3: right because when you do era adjusted scoring, his best years were in Florida, even though his his gaudier numbers were in Vancouver.
1: Uh okay. So just give me one second here. I'm gonna look this up. Sure. 1999 2000 Florida Panthers. Because if anybody doesn't know this, this is my th- literally. It, this keeps me up at night thinking about this. Um, okay, hockey DB. So Pavel Bure. Uh, oh no, it's not 1999 2000. It's it must be like 2000 2001. Um, okay, because well, this because this yeah, season the- it's not that bad.
2: Because um, yeah, the the question is less like oh, what happens if is healthy? is like no, what happens if the Canucks kept him around? Which I I feel never like after happen. a few years of just getting worse and worse, and uh, disputes between Buray and management, which I honestly don't know anything about. I feel I used to know about pretty well. Um, uh, I feel like his watch empire was involved. Um, <laughs> but I never mentioned that my, my mom worked at the post office that Beret would use. And no. my mom, like, would always be like, uh, like, other people would just, like, lose their shit, and she had no idea who she was, because she's, like, somewhat recent refugee, and a okay, random yeah. Russian man is trying to send stuff back.
1: <laughs> All right, so I have it pulled up here. In 2000-2001, Pavel Bure led the Florida Panthers with 92 points, 59 goals, 33 assists. Second... On the Panthers in scoring is Victor Kozlov with 37 points. <laughs> Motherfucker had 55 more points oh, than the shit. next closest guy on his team. I think about this literally twice a week.
3: The um, one I always bring up, which I mentioned last time I was on too is the 8990 Quebec Nordiques where Joe Sakic had a, I think yes. like 106 points, and then the next guy had like 36 right. That's a really good one <laughs>
2: yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That one's also really,
1: really it's
2: good. So, good. so yeah. was Ed Jovanassi worth it? Is the question. <laughs> like wh- what's the trade tree from, from the Burray trade? Like oh, it's um, massive.
3: I think it ended recently. I think I remember reading that somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it's, they, you know, they, they made out okay in that trade, all things considered. Right? Yeah, when I agree. The team losing the best players, losing the trade, which usually is true. In this case, Joel, well, we've got Kevin a lot of time. Yeah, goalie of the future, number six, I think. And uh, <laughs> and the other Mike Brown, not the one who later played for the Canucks. And, <laughs> uh, and as Brian Burke told us, Dave Gagne was a, a critical part of that deal as well. So. <laughs> um, that, that might be before your guy's time. That, Dave that Gagne was a
1: decent player though, wasn't he? Like, I don't know yeah, if he was way a before that way before that. Yeah. But Ed Jovanovsky, like former first overall. Yep. Very all-star. good defenseman for the Canucks all-star. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. I do forget how good he was. Like he went to the world cup. This kind of relates or to, or to the, Olympics, obviously.
1: this kind of relates to the uh, Trevor Linden thing that we're going to, that I'm saving for the end of the episode. But um do you think there's any chance they could have gotten him back in free agency? Linden? Linden? Like when he went to not Linden, uh, Bure, when he went to, uh, New York. No. no. All right. Yeah. Cause I was New just, I was New thinking, York versus you know, that
2: Vancouver. Like, we don't, we don't win that one. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah.
1: I just, yeah, I, I, so I was I think just curious. Do we ever
4: actually find I, out what exactly was the situation with Bure? Cause I've heard some, reasonable rumors some truly horrendous rumors and what exactly the difference was with him and burke
1: the one i always heard about was that they like quoted him a a dollar figure and he signed off on it and then they and then they were like haha too slow it's actually in canadian dollars that
3: that is true that's so fucked yeah that is um, really
4: hard That is even worse. That is terrible. It yeah.
3: used to be more common. Right now, all player deals are in US dollars, but they, it was more of an open question in the 90s. Uh, and I don't know if it was like deliberately... Deceptive, or they just kind of made assumptions like you know we're sure. getting third hand evidence here, but but the, the nasty rumor that surfaced, which I think is what Elliot's talking about, is that Bory allegedly threatened to sit out in the 94 finals if they didn't, you know, give him the deal he wanted. I'm pretty sure that's been comprehensively debunked at this point, but there's a great clip uh, of Pat around.
1: Quinn calling uh Don Cherry like a liar on live TV over that.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah. Who I mean Quinn was was gone by the time. Boy's time in Florida was over. I don't yeah. think he he was actually traded again, wasn't he? I don't I actually. It was traded to
1: the, to the Rangers,
3: I believe. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember him even really being on oh, the yeah. open market.
1: Yeah. I, I actually, I miss, I misstated that. I, I, he, I don't think he was ever a free agent, but. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh let's move on to another one.
2: I, I just had a, a thought there just thinking about how cheap the Canucks were. Like, Lot, obviously we have our feelings against like large corporations in vancouver and bc but like i ha- i hate that the the gigantic like extraction companies like why can't you own the Canucks and just flood it with cash like, why why, <laughs> does, why does it have to be these like small time piece of shit? Uh, why, why it does it like, have sweet? to be? the
1: largest franchiser of pizza huts on the lower mainland.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's an accurate statement. Like, why can't it be Telus? Like if you're going to be, if you're going to run every single telecom, uh, in- infrastructure in the province, like why, why don't, why can't you be the one who owns the team just so we can at least have the confidence that you're putting money into it. Why, why do we have to trust, uh, who is it in the cause to the Griffiths back then? Like, I
1: guess it matters less now, yeah. but
2: yeah.
3: That's one yeah. of the reasons why I'm not so down on the Macaws as owners, because they were the first big money owners the Canucks ever had, right? The, the Griffiths couldn't keep up, right? right and so right, right, that's right. why you yeah. know the Canucks did things like pursue big free agents for the first yeah, time. They, and... they spent, yeah, they they
1: spent they yeah, yeah, spent on yeah. the team. They spent on the wrong players generally, yeah. but they did spend at least. <laughs> they tried,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: We've never it's had it's one of those
2: things really like, BC, like why why not like McMillan Bladell, like the gigantic forestry companies, like yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. What's next? Is.
2: Uh, what is next? I uh, one moment. Uh Canucks never trade Marty Jelen. Ah,
1: uh, yeah. I, I like that one. I don't know. We if should it really provide a little context.
2: context for for like for, for some of these a little bit more uh, seasoned season ones. Um, remind me who Marty Jelen is, because I only remember him from the Calgary series in two thousand four. Yeah. of well, him as being in 94. He's you know,
3: that guy. <laughs> he, he's one of my favorite Canucks ever. He was a heart and soul player. They picked him up on waivers in the 93-94 season. Uh, on his very first shift, I think it was, he leveled former Canuck Ronnie Stern at center ice. And he's, he's not a tough player. He's not even a big guy. And he immediately won over the the hearts of the the crowd. Hmm. He ended up being like, he, he was a, a talented player in his origins, right? He was one of the pieces that was traded for Wayne Gretzky. And yeah. um and oh. he was part of the Oilers 1990 Stanley cup run as either a rookie or a sophomore. And uh, oh. so he, he had, he was on the Quebec Nordiques. They waved him, the Canucks picked him up. Uh, and he was sort of this nothing player who ended up becoming a very important part of their run. And then not only that, he stuck with the team. He actually became one of their better scores in the 96, 97 season. He was yeah, career high
1: of 35 goals and 68 points in 74. Yeah,
3: He was named team MVP nice. He had a four goal game at one point, which oh. there's oh, not wow. many of those in the Canucks history. And either because he was a favorite or just because he wasn't doing something that Mike Keenan was asking, Keenan made an example out of him. So he, he paired him with Kirk McLean, which everyone remembers McLean as being the bigger part of that deal. The truth is, I love me some Kirk McLean, but he was he was way past done at this point. Like, yeah, absolutely. He was, yeah. he was worse off for playing him. And so if it took Keenan to kind of make a change of the goalie priest for the first time in a decade. Um, but he threw Jonah into that trade, too, to the their newly relocated Hurricanes. And the Canucks uh, got back uh, three players, Sean Burke, Jeff Sanderson and Enrico Chicone, none of whom would last the season with Vancouver. He would retrade oh all of them uh, into Garth Snow and Brad May uh, were the, the main pieces coming back. It Ugh. was it, it was kind of another one <laughs> of these reverse red paperclip things. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean gel and i ended up continuing a, a very lengthy career and, and scoring very big overtime goals for both the flames and uh and the carolina hurricanes uh through each of those teams cup runs and he was just he was a favorite everywhere he went it was just a shame to lose him i don't know that Is it makes bucks. the Owned guy history.
1: who like scored the the supposed goal that should have won the flames their stanley cup and i think so he, he's yeah. the one to
3: knocked the canucks out and i think he even yeah. did, uh, did it a second time in the series and i think you're right that that would have been his goal yeah. so uh
1: another advantage cool. would be we would never have to hear calgary flames fans <laughs> fucking insufferably go on and on about that and yeah he wouldn't have
3: been uh, he wouldn't have knocked
1: them out long. in 04 either so and he knocked yeah. out
3: the the toronto maple leafs in 02 as well he scored that overtime goal that uh had the king's advance to the final carolina yeah
2: the Carolina run. Oh uh, hell yeah, that rocks! <laughs> nice. That's um, such a good
1: playoff series too. Like that that, right, that Leafs team was supposed to be so good, <laughs> and they just got owned by the Carolina by the ex- fucking relocated Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um. You random. You said there haven't been a lot of four goal Canucks. Uh, uh,
3: I know we were
1: going. A lot that.
2: of players who scored <laughs> four goals for the Canucks. The one of them that I remember. It's not the last one that happened but it was the Chris Levesque game yep, right. Naslin, Naslin scored yep. four goals against the Penguins. I, Most I recent, I believe, that.
1: was Ryan Kessler.
3: Uh, Daniel Sedin did it for sure. Did Kessler do it more recently? I don't remember. I, I don't know.
1: Maybe Daniel Sedin did it more recently, but, I, but Kessler definitely did it, and that's the last time I can remember.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
3: It, since a- you used uh, yeah. <laughs> since he Naslin can I can I use that as a jumping off point for another one of yeah. these? Yeah, please. Yes, please. But, Absolutely. So this is two of them. So Naslin was famously acquired by Pat Quinn and arguably the most lopsided trade in NHL history for yeah. Alec Stoyanov, who was a, a fourth line grinder with injury troubles. The story of Stoyanov is that he was the he was taken one one spot after Peter Forsberg in the 1991 NHL draft, and for the longest oh. time, I had assumed that like. Pat Quinn, you know, bless his heart and all. He tended to use first rounders on very large players that didn't have a lot of skill. Um, The old joke was they always wanted someone to win face offs against Joel Otto. And so so Stoyanov, (laughs) so far as I know, like if you look at his junior stats, he was something like the fifth leading scorer on his own team. He was younger, but Uh, You know, still he wasn't like an offensive dynamo. The the thing that he had attracted attention for in junior is that he fought Eric Lindros in an OHL game. He played for his (laughs) girlfriend. I
1: I wish I could go back in time and work for an NHL team in the the (laughs) eighties or nineties. I would literally win like ten Stanley Cups.
3: You'd be the wait a sec guy, yeah. No, even
1: using a tape measure.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like I would, I it would be so much fun to just go back in time and just like run the table out like people like <laughs> scouts, like literally didn't even know what to look for in a player until like 2005.
3: No. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to plug yeah. the epilogue section of my book too, where I talk about this a little bit, how, how scouting is much more clinical than it used to be. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's literally the reason why the Canucks drafted him. Like I think he was highly ranked. He put up okay numbers in the OHL, but, like that was the highlight package was him fighting Lindros, right? It wasn't like yeah. <laughs> Dipsy Doodle, nice goals or anything. And so if anything, that doesn't that scream Bobby Clark in the Philadelphia Flyers? Like I don't Yeah, right. So, so that's where I'm going in a second. But I'd always assumed for the longest time that that given the choice, the Canucks wow. still would have drafted Stoyanov over Forsberg. And that apparently like once, you know, these stories came out more and the internet allowed this to happen a lot more than it did in, in real time in the 90s. Uh, no, the Canucks actually had a Canuck jersey with Forsberg's name on it, ready to draft oh, him. They did want him, and so if you can imagine I, yeah. that the Flyers do the Flyer thing and they take the big bruising winger who fought Eric Lindros, le- leaving Forsberg to drop the Canucks, they would have taken him. And oh, that is one of those oh. jumping off points where, like, that changes everything, right? Okay,
0: I mean, so
4: yeah. I, I want tra- trace time. this. I want to trace this forward though. So See, then no Lindros doesn't one. report to Quebec. Yeah. The Flyers still make an offer for him, but I guess it's Stoyanov instead of Forsberg in that offer?
3: Uh, I mean, Forsberg was already very highly regarded at the yeah, time. That yeah, jersey. right. So would well, Stoyanov add... wouldn't have been. He, he ran into a lot of injuries. Right. So would have been I would it would be passage. really
4: wild, though, if you want to draw a line where the Flyers draft Stoyanov, so then they need to trade for Lindros, so they flip Stoyanov along with like the giant king's ransom that they do. The Nordiques relocate. They're like this Stoinoff guy is kind of a bust. Let's trade him to let's trade him to Pittsburgh. So then you have the <laughs> Canucks Avalanche, except with the Canucks Naslin Avalanche and Forsberg uh, on the wrong teams. Yeah, uh
1: uh rivalry stays where on nasland is on the Avalanche and Forsberg is on the Canucks. That is really wild. Fuck. It's totally possible though. That's fucking yeah, like imagine I mean, waking up one Orangeburg
4: day, imagine hitting ended, your but... head one day in two thousand like two or two thousand three and then this is what's happening. Yeah. Like you just hit your head and you wind up in the other timeline where
3: this happened. <laughs> the multiverse. Um <laughs> the the other thing I was gonna say about that too is that probably rather than Philly putting together a different package just because Forsberg was the centerpiece of it, if you right. guys do recall or Oh, if you're too young to remember, I will remind you there were two competing right. offers for Lindros. And uh, Todd Bertuzzi's uncle was the arbitrator who ruled in favor of Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. So that's
1: right. Pop- Robert Pop- Bertuzzi, right? Or no, uh, Larry, uh, Larry Larry Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi thank you. Larry, I'm getting uh, mixed Bertuzzi. up
3: with Robert Bertuzzo. <laughs> yes. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the dollar store, Todd Bertuzzi. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think if anything, we have a
2: Bertuzzi at home. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I think if anything, in that, in that scenario, that alternate timeline, probably Lindros ends up on the Rangers.
4: For sure, yeah, for sure. Definitely. That's the much more likely outcome. Eventually. But then I guess he would still wind up with the King's ransom and so you still wind up with a really good. Oh yeah. Be, the
3: avalanche would still be stacked. I think Brian Leach was part of that package. They they were offering yeah. a lot of value.
4: Wow.
2: It was so funny That, back that, in the day that is when truly... just like a dollar value is part of the trade, just like a bag of cash. <laughs> oh yeah. because <that, laughs> I think it was what 15 million or like something ridiculous. I think it was in that trade as well. Oh, A whole bunch of cash. Yeah,
3: I believe. And 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 a bunch of draft picks as well. Yeah. Um, And then the the corollary of all that, just because we were talking about Nazan still is that of course that all that didn't happen. And Stoyanov got flipped for Nazan, which really salvaged a lot of this. They got a, a, you know, a star player out of what ended up being the the same draft class, but Nazan was taken several spots later. Um, But he, you know, it took him a while to get going with the Canucks. He, He always looked skilled, but he wasn't a big scorer really until the, the year that, that Keenan started, the 98, 99 season. But before then, he didn't get a ton he of ice time. Here. He was seen as a, yeah, he was seen as kind of a soft, you know, one-dimensional winger. And he did ask for a trade, uh, or yeah. at least he tried to. Brian mm-hmm. Burke has this whole story that he, uh, you know, he, he wasn't going to hear it from him. But I think even before all that, Nazan was looking to get out before Burke was even hired. And that's so- a guy though,
1: that like, just to circle back to the, like, going back in time to scout, for a team, like, if you even just knew how to do, like, points per 60, you probably yeah. would have, picked, like, centered in on nasland like, ages ago.
3: He was know? a first-rounder. He just he was a mid-first-rounder yeah. compared to Stoyanov yeah. <laughs> Enforcer. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's very realistic. The Canucks move him on, and then not only does he likely never emerge to the extent that he did, but obviously the West Coast Express years never happened, and that could have been a much longer dark age following the Keenan years than it mm-hmm. was.
1: I like how in these Zuckerman commercials, Zuck uh, has his shirt buttoned down to like the second button because his like chowls are t- too big for the neck hole. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I love just, this, uh, this guy. I fucking love him too. Those I, are love, the, I love the purple world. velvet jacket. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. All right. What's what, what's next on our list here?
2: <sighs> we we jump around chronologically, obviously, because yeah, uh, I think the next one is where we discuss... The 2008 draft and how the first three picks: oh, Cody yeah. Hodgson, Jan Sove, I believe, yes. and beloved Prabh-Rai.
1: I believe these are the first three headed. picks. I might not be. Uh, I might not be 100 correct. Yeah, because no, we,
2: we traded a second or a third or somewhere there. Yeah, I, know, but was...
1: I, I believe the first three picks, yes, are are Cody Hodgson, Jan Sove, and Prob Rye, Uh Who, yes, all three of them at some point early in their like career. Hodgson being the latest, because he at least played in the NHL, all suffer kind of ridiculous and unlikely uh, career-ending injuries. And, um, like, I believe I always get Sove and Rye mixed up. One of them got hit by a car, like crossing so, the street. Quality. Yeah, okay. So Sove gets hit by by a car, I think, like, crossing Granville Street. Um, if I remember correctly, or it may have I think been. it was during like training camp or something. Yeah, and then oh, Prabh-Rai is like in the passenger seat in a car that gets in a terrible accident, and he like never plays another game. And I mean, this is a minor one in comparison to some of the other things that we've talked about, but I always do wonder like Hodgson should have been better, um, and I think like his his injury trouble like really damaged his relationship with the Canucks because like there was all that push pull about like you know I remember a lot of people even in the media I think sort of acting like he was being a, a prima donna who almost like he was I, I even got some intimations that some people thought that he was like faking it um, and then Sauve I don't know if he would have had much of an NHL career but uh, Ryan Beach uh, when he was still with Canucks Army, went back and did a look at all the Gillis drafts and uh, what their like PGPS was. If you guys remember that, that was the thing developed by Jeremy Davis to sort of um, determine like what the likelihood uh, of a player making the NHL was based on other players who were like of a comparable size and scoring rate in the same league and proper had like a one and four shot, which for a fifth round pick is really good. And uh, his numbers were, were like quite good when he played in, I believe the WHL. And uh, I, I just personally, cause I remember watching him. I think he profiled as like quite a good NHL player. So I always just wonder like what would have happened to that guy if he hadn't uh, suffered a really freak career ending injury. And maybe, you know, if the if the Canucks make those three picks and get even, like, a little bit more out of them, I wonder if Gillis's drafting is remembered as being uh, a little bit better than it is now, where it's sort of considered, like, one of the worst records in, in recent NHL history anyways. I don't know if that really affects things we, that much. But We
3: discussed that one a little bit last time I was on, too. Um, and, yeah, you suggested that. I, I don't know that Sove would have ever turned out to anything more than kind of a, a I'm depth inclined to that, yeah. yeah. so that probably takes away if, if all they get is like a good Hudson and then a, a depth winger and a depth defenseman it probably doesn't make a huge difference but uh, you know there was possibility there for sure
2: yeah the scary feeling around 2011 where after you lose there's really outside of him there's nobody that was coming up the pipes
1: the best um, pick but be- between uh, like Cody Hodgson and Bo Horvat is probably like Ben Hunt.
2: Yeah, and, um, and it's probably a natural place to bring up uh, one of the other ones is just Luke Bourdon. Uh, oh, of course. Who, obviously, like if uh, if he gets to live out his life, uh, judgments about Canucks drafting, I think, maybe more limited to people who are, like, super into stats and super into breaking down uh, hockey by charts. Um, but I think there'd be a lot more of an argument where, like, oh, well, this GM got Luke Bourdon. so what are you talking about? Because um, I would assume Luke Bourdon would be... I don't remember exactly what type of defenseman he was, uh, but he, I'm sure he'd be a staple for, like, he'd, he'd be, like, an Alex Hedler, like, at he... that level.
3: So, yeah, he, like, really they impressed They his... should have picked Kopitar. Yeah, I mean, That's what I'm say. I, I think that legacy wouldn't change. I think that would, you yeah. know, with the benefit of hindsight, become all the clearer. Verdant would have been an NHL regular, but there were questions start, starting to creep in about his game. He, he looked really good at his first camp, basically because he leveled a few guys, and you know how you know that will always excite yeah. the, <laughs> the people making roster decisions. But the more he played, there he had an ankle injury too, which slowed his progress, and you know, uh, it wasn't clear that he was. That those are tough injuries, right? It's it's hard to come back from something like that because it affects skating, and so. You never really know. I, I think he would have been a reasonably good NHL regular. I would say less than Alex Edler. If I had to guess, I think he would have been trade bait at some point. I'm, I'm basing that on little other than the fact that he wouldn't have been Mike Gillis's draft pick. And he would have been an attractive mm. piece to help put finishing touches. You know, a young defenseman was, would be less likely to be a part of that big run than maybe yeah. whatever they could have yeah. gotten for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened.
2: So where do you think, what what do you think happened? Jackson, take away with the Kopitar thing. What do you, what do you think happens there?
1: Well, I just, I just think it still goes down as like, uh, they, regardless of what happens with Luke Bourdon. like if he, um, obviously, like, obviously it would have been very nice if he had not died in a horrible motorcycle accident, but I think it would just still go down as like, oh, why didn't they pick Anse Kopitar? Yeah.
2: that's That's true.
1: Um We should speed through the next few here so that we still have. Time what if we got one. a
2: goalie in O one O two? What if Clute <laughs> stays in Tampa, so the Canucks get Kevin Weeks <laughs> instead? Who I wrote this down at the time was a nine twenty goalie. Yeah, and I also wrote that this is a good one. Trust me. Which is probably verbatim from a Yeah,
1: no, I like the idea because Kevin Weeks was a nine twenty goalie in like the year that uh, that the that the Canucks were supposed to be, you know, really good. So I, I don't know, I just wonder about that one. Everybody always wonders what what if the West Coast Express had a goalie.
3: He, I mean weeks was the goalie of the future. He was not established and he didn't have a long track record and, and then he ended up pissing off Mark Crawford by inventing a story of being mugged when he was late for practice so <laughs> Um, you, you guys know that one, don't you?
1: Uh, no, I didn't. Know. Uh, no. Oh,
3: really? Okay. No, this this was a big deal at the time. Um, he claimed this is like
1: the original Jesse Smollett story. <laughs>
3: yeah, kind of is, yes. oh, he claimed, if the problem is the way he told the story, it made no sense. Like it was obviously fake. Because he claimed that he, some guys approached him at his car and said, "Are you Kevin Weeks?" And he said, "Yeah." And they said, "Follow us." And he did, right? <laughs> so like, like they didn't have a gun. He, or if so, it wasn't relayed really in the version of the story that made it into the into the papers. But yeah, so they didn't threaten him with a weapon. They didn't have something to hold over his head that caused him to follow them. They just said, follow us. And he did, according to him, in which case so. they drove, I think, underneath a bridge, robbed him. And that's the reason he was late for practice. And uh, he was not on the team. Much <laughs> after that.
1: <laughs> and that is why he became an analyst. <laughs>
3: because i i I don't know if he's disowned the story if he like can laugh about it now or if he still maintains it happened
1: if i ever if we ever have him on the show i will ask him about that That
4: (laughs) but that would be that's super funny dj should compare notes about uh vancouver crime (laughs) yeah yeah the flip Um, side
3: of the the weeks thing too is what i raised too is that the when the canucks Kept doing their goalie carousel. Uh Mark Crawford decided he didn't like Adrian O'Coin, despite him being a, a very good yeomanly defenseman for the Canucks. And he yeah. ended up being the piece that they would trade to Tampa for, for Dan Cloutier. So Cloutier stuff aside and beach balls and all that. O'Coin had like another decade of a very solid career after that. And the Canucks basically missed out on that because Crawford decided he didn't like him and they needed yet another. Yeah. Goalie. They would
1: have had a very deep defense if they had held on a
3: coin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, on top of that one is what happens and like really what happens for like the next 16 years if that beach ball meme doesn't get made because <laughs> <laughs> that is such an original meme that uh, that people still remember today and I would look I don't know shit but I will I will argue that it ruined Chase's reputation no I, I actually agree Doomed him.
1: If it wasn't for that meme, there would be less people who, because basically everyone talks shit about Dan Kluche now. Um, it's probably more
3: the Lidstrom I, I, the meme.
2: It's, yeah. it's astonishing that the man came back to Vancouver for for a job. Yeah, and and, and happily has one here. Like, good for him. Yeah, between uh, that
1: and the <laughs> fake story about him like committing vehicular homicide, um, you'd think he would have been done with Vancouver, but apparently not. <laughs>
3: um uh,
2: so,
3: th- go ahead uh, i was gonna say if, if i can throw in a couple older ones too that'll go quickly um sure. before we wind down one is uh, i'm gonna go back to the 94 well again uh if, for those who remember the peter nedved saga he signed a restricted free agent contract with the st louis blues after sitting out the whole season mm-hmm. there was an arbitration case the canucks asked uh and back then it was you, you named the player you wanted so the canucks asked for brandon shanahan oh, wow. the blues offered craig <sighs> craig jenny oh, a second rounder the arbitrator decided. uh or took the blue side. And so the Canucks were, were awarded Craig Janney, who was their top center at the time, and uh, and a second round draft pick, who I believe turned out to be someone good, I think. No, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of Yarko Routu from the, the Trevor Linden deal. Um, and uh, and so Janney, who, who is American, uh, even though he would later play for the Winnipeg Jets, refused to report to the Vancouver Canucks, and they ended up trading him back to St. Louis for Jeff <laughs> Brown, Brett Hedekin, and Nathan Lafayette. And that Whoa, was the second wow. time in a few years that the Canucks had really fleeced the the St. Louis Blues in a late season. Yeah, that's a really good trick. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it absolutely built their 94 core. And I think if Craig Jenny does report to the Canucks, I don't think they go to the finals in 94. I think they're way no, too definitely the not. Defense. Yeah. The
2: Brown Taburre yeah. account never gets made. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's a
1: so a huge win for everyone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay.
2: There, there's a couple of old ones you also had that Gary Shuech happens yes so in 93
3: this one still stucks in the sticks in the, the craw of anyone around my age the 93 playoffs like we talk about in, in 94 a few dominoes fell right the the red wings got knocked out by uh, by san jose who was a 3rd year team and that really like allowed the canucks to advance um in 93 the table was kind of set for them because unlike 94 they were not a Cinderella team the canucks were one of the top teams in the league and it was, again, divisional playoffs. So you, yeah. the first two rounds, were, they were only playing smite division teams. So they, uh, they knocked off the Winnipeg Jets in the first round. And the second round, they faced L.A., who was nothing special, right? Like Gretzky was on the team, but he was already getting up there in age. And the team had sort of underachieved from a couple of years earlier, where they were themselves one of the best teams in the league. Um, and everyone kind of figured the Canucks were going to take it in a walk in advance of the conference finals. Uh, the Kings won, or they, they went up 2-1 early in the series. The, the Canucks were always on the back foot. And there was an over, a double overtime game um, in game five. So if the Canucks had won, it would have, what is that? yeah, they would have gone up 3-2. Uh, and Gary Shuchuk, who was a, like a fourth-line grinder who, was, uh, who made it to the Kings that year in the Paul Coffee trade, Uh, He ended up scoring this double overtime game and the Kings ended up winning game six and moving on to the finals. Had the Canucks won that series, their opponent in the next round would have been Toronto who was beatable by those same Kings. And then uh, all four of the third place teams ended up winning their division that year. So it was Toronto, Los Angeles, Montreal and the Islanders who knocked off Pittsburgh? Who was actually the best team in the league that year, like by a country mile? That was wow. the uh, the famous David Volick overtime goal that like was was really fun for those of us who were cheering for Pittsburgh to lose. And uh, so that final four was like they were all good teams. Like they're all in and around. I don't not the Islanders, but the others were all in and around pretty close to 100 points. I think the King, the Kings were probably like 90. Um, and that was back when that meant something too, because there were no there were no overtime points. Um, but it was not like the rogues gallery that it could have been if all the first place teams had advanced, which was like, it was Boston, Pittsburgh, the Canucks and Chicago at that point. So um, I think the Canucks may have won the 1993 Stanley cup. If Gary Shuchuk did not score in double overtime, because I don't know, I don't think they would have lost to Toronto and Montreal would have been a challenge because the Habs were good and they were quite deep. But they were about even with Vancouver. Like it wouldn't have been a, a fait accompli. Like they they rolled over Los Angeles mostly. But I think the Canucks would have given them a real run for their money.
1: Huh. <laughs> that's an interesting one. I would have never known about that.
2: Gary Shushuk is just one of those names that I've only heard on hockey in Canada. But I, <laughs> like it's it's like a different language this word. That's like. That's
1: that's the that's the we have a Terry Sawchuck at home.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, we we had one more old one before we get to. This. Uh, okay, you were layering on up. I did not know about this. Him not being waived when he goes to Switzerland in 1992. Yeah. I don't know what what that's so- about
3: larianov had this this is worth reading about for anyone who's listening to this episode there's a whole saga about him trying to get out of the ussr and him striking a deal with Sovintersport, which was like the governing body that finally allowed him to come to vancouver who had drafted him in 1985 i think it was um as long as once if the canucks re-signed him when his contract was up they got a, a payout from that and larianov like and it You know, it it wasn't even a big sum of money. I think they eventually even negotiated down to like $150,000. It was quite trifling, even even by the day's standards. Larionov did not want this to happen. He was so dead set against in principle. He said Sovinter Sport had made enough money off of him already, uh, and he wasn't going to do it. He actually preferred to not stay in the NHL that year, and he ended up playing in Switzerland. Um, my recollection of this. God, how much of had,
1: a god must he have been in Switzerland? That <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> Actually, shit.
3: I have his stats up here, and it's not that crazy. He played no, uh, 24 games and had 29 points. Oh, okay, um, yeah. you think? And, then, and to be to be clear, to Larry, I don't know if it only had one really good year in Vancouver. It was Pavel rookie year. The two of them, uh, you know, were dynamite together. And we certainly wanted to keep him, and he ended up having a lot of productive years when he came back to the NHL. My recollection is that he gave no indication he was going to come back to the NHL, because I thought he would he would have the same issue with Sovinter Sport if he did, um, you know, the second he signed that new contract. And the Canucks did try and find a technicality to claim that, uh, that the old contract that had that term was up, and therefore they, he didn't owe the money, and they, they did what they could. In the end, he said he was leaving um again over a pretty small sum of money like I really wish he hadn't done this yeah and uh, mm-hmm. so the Canucks released his rights and the the Sharks picked him up in the waiver draft um and again my recollection which is the one thing I ever disagreed with with Jason Botchford online about is that no this wasn't controversial at the time people just figured it was like it was the same way that like when the Sharks entered the league they and the, the Minnesota North Stars went through an expansion draft um because they they claimed half the north stars roster it actually goes all the way back to when the oakland seals were in the nhl and i won't bore you with the details but they both were treated sort of like expansion teams and the north stars claimed gila fleur like just for the hell of it Um, (laughs) i thought it was kind of like that right it's like oh yeah it would be cool if we had this like notable name on you know theoretically on our roster but he ended up coming back to the nhl the very next year uh and um and had like i say he played well into his 40s in the nhl and had like a number of very good seasons most mostly with Detroit and it's just kind of a shame that all that had to go down because he could have stayed with Bore and the two would have no doubt like had a lot of really good years mm-hmm. together.
4: Another one, and then just imagine him, Brewery, and McGilney all together. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. On a related
1: good. note, too, I think we have to also include like, what if Vladimir Krutov never discovers 7-Eleven hot dogs, <laughs> <McDonald's here>. uh,
2: <laughs> What if all of us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. There, um, but for the grace of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Very true.
2: Uh, uh, and the second penultimate one. Okay, Anson Carter. What if the Canucks give him his asking price, Jackson? I think you. I you'd be good. at This is just a through. fun
1: one for me. I I wonder if Alex Burroughs is a thing. I personally have, I have this theory about Anson Carter that like people kind of remember his time in Columbus as being worse than it was. I, I would have to, I would have to check like, like I, I wish we had more detailed numbers, but he was a half a point per game and I can't imagine he was playing on the first line. And he also had a little bit of injury trouble. He only played 54 games. Um, And he, I know like there's a lot of feelings about Anson Carter and he's been kind of a dink in the press about the Sidians and all that, but like his asking price was really not that much for a guy who had just scored 33 goals. And I think he only wanted like what, like two years and 2.5 or something like
3: it would have been high at the time, but like I wanted them to do it. I I thought yeah. it was it was a poor decision to let him walk, to be honest. And people, you're right. People have have taken on this like really vindictive, you know, memory of all that, as though he was like just a leech who you know was selfish. But I I agree. He had great chemistry with them. It's something they had struggled to find. And why and that not wasn't even about?
1: his career high in goals. Nope,
3: that's right. His career high in goals
1: he was with, with Edmonton. Carolina,
2: Edmonton. Oh, Edmonton, Edmonton, Edmonton. Edmonton, I
3: think. yeah. 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 You know he was a good and, player, like well before he got to Vancouver.
2: Yeah, and and also it's like it was kind of a fluke that Burroughs worked out. Imagine maybe it, the for, biggest for all, fluke you know, in NHL history, honestly. <laughs> yeah, like, we we were very lucky that that ended up happening. And so, what if <laughs> fifteen years later, Anson Carter's the only was the only good made the Canadiens ever have. Yeah, um, I I would be sad because yeah.
1: Burroughs is my favorite story, like ever. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm but glad it's, that it's, it worked it's out. It's like, on such yeah.
2: a lark that he ends up being being uh, the greatest lineman they ever had.
1: Do you have the Roberto Luongo one on there? Because
2: I this do This was not. one
1: okay. So I will introduce this as our last one before we do my Trevor Linden one.
2: There's also a random Scott Walker one and a oh, yeah. Zach Sertini one. But yeah, go ahead. Jack.
1: Yeah, no. Well, I mean, just to to pay lip service and- to that, uh, Yurki, you mentioned that uh, the Nashville Predators took Scott Walker in the uh, expansion draft from the Canucks who ended up going on to be like i like mean as much players. of a star as you could be in nashville at that time yeah um, and cliff running so you know that's uh that's you know, that's interesting to think about but
3: this and, one and mostly the the Canucks chose to protect a bunch of like depth role players including like peter peter zezel who they would try and trade the very next year yeah uh it, it like it kind of boggles the mind that <laughs> they let like a young scrappy player go with with some offensive jobs
1: yeah that's that's kind of the history of the Canucks, though. So I'm not surprised.
3: Okay. This
1: one, uh, I guess we either forgot to add or we didn't have enough detail around. But one that I always think of is uh, Darren Drager doesn't fuck that trade between the Canucks and the Leafs, Leafs. for, uh, which I believe was Roberto Luongo uh, this for yeah. Nazem right. Kadri, Tyler Bozak, and a first. Is that correct? Is that the the offer that was on the table? I don't think anyone knows, right? I remember. I, I
2: believe that's the one that was talked about the most.
1: I mean, obviously, it's hard to know, like, I guess, what the offer really was. But if the Canucks make that trade, I think there's a case to be made that, like, all of this horrendous nonsense that has happened since doesn't happen because, like. They get, I mean, whether or not an additional first round pick matters when, you know, it's like the Canucks terrible scouting department uh, that is uh, that is making the pick. But having uh, two centers of that caliber in your system, along with Ryan Kessler, um, I don't know, I think I think that sets the stage for like a, a pretty significant like change in team quality. And, I mean, of course, you still had Schneider, who was still a very good goalie for quite a few years there. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. So Nazem
2: Kadri. Ka- he loaded up start. for, like,
4: 2014? Yeah.
2: Well, like, Nazem Kadri is an all-star this year. Yeah. Like, Yeah. That that is a phenomenal – that would have been a phenomenal trade for us, look, looking back. I think when we look back on it in, like, 2015, I think Nazem Kadri, like, didn't look like he was going anywhere. Um, well, he that, didn't look like he was going to be
1: as good as he is now.
2: Yeah, like to, to think he was better than he was in Toronto. Um, I, I was never expecting it. So uh, that that trade would change everything. We'd still have a good goalie. Oof.
1: You could right, trade. Uh, you could trade Ryan Kessler and it wouldn't matter because you'd have Nazem Kadri yeah. still. Yeah, we'd and, have
2: Henrik, we'd, we'd have that. And we'd that awful
1: that. hit on Daniel Sedin never happens, too. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that would Well, was exactly, the so then I wouldn't hate Kadri, so it'd be fine
4: that he'd be on the team.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so my final one here, this is a thing that I uh, have talked about in private quite a lot that I think about all the time, um, which is it's less so much a counterfactual as it is like a, a very earnest take of mine that the Canucks should have never traded to reacquire Trevor Linden in 2001 and okay. So the obvious knock against this is that they didn't really give up that much for him in the long run. Like they gave up a first and a third, but the players that ended up being taken there, Boyd Gordon is sort of like a depth role player who bounced around the league a little bit. And uh, Zach Stortini is the third round pick. I think it's still an overpayment given what Trevor Linden was at that point in his career, which was like a guy who would get somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 plus points if you're lucky. Um, But my, my real reason for thinking this is that I, and I want to, I want to know what you think about this, Yerke, like how much do you think Trevor Linden's legacy would be changed if he had been traded from the Canucks by Keenan and never come back.
3: I would actually say not that much. And really? The reason I do is because I think his legacy is I, I like Trevor Linden as a player, but sure he the level to which he's beloved in Vancouver was a product of the team not having been good for the 20 years prior to him arriving. And so he most of that legacy honestly comes from like his first four seasons in the league, right? Absolutely. The, yeah yeah and none of that changes in that scenario and i think everyone understood when linden came back that no one expected him to be a contributor at the same level that he had been uh when he was an ironman and you know he was the team's best player for for his first few years and it's you know you get this like you see an expansion team, expansion teams too it's the the first really good player is always kind of beloved by the fans and linden wasn't on an expansion team but he was on a team with a, a dearth of talent And so when we had a rookie of the year candidate come up, people really clung to that because it was finally some good news in Vancouver for the first time in a very long time. And they frankly overrated him. Like he's the type of player. And again, he was good. I don't want to take away from him, but he's the type of player who would not put up anything like the type of numbers that he did in his early Mm -hmm. seasons. If you had like modern butterfly goalies and stuff, right? He was a lot of shoot and score type type goals. And, um, and people often will like to say it's, no, it was really 94 that that cemented his legacy. I don't agree with that. I think it was like, wasn't down. that kind of
1: a down year for him?
3: Well, no, but the playoff run, I mean, cause that's yeah, okay, right. with Fore yes, right. and you know, and they, they yeah. were great together. Um, but he was very beloved before any of that happened. Like, Fair enough. And, and part of it, honestly, was just that he was good looking, right? Like he. Yeah, he,
1: that's true.
2: Yeah, he
3: attracted a lot of interest from people who didn't necessarily care about hockey. Um, I, same thing. That I would think do later. There,
2: This is just a hunch, but I just feel like I've heard it across my life that there are probably way more people in Vancouver who name their kids Trevor or Lyndon. Than um, any yeah. other canuck of all oh, time, oh, definitely. Probably, uh, like, there, there are people named Linden something you know. So,
1: like- my thinking here, just to defend myself a little bit, is obviously so obviously, he still has the legacy from '94 and all of that, but he likely ends his career in a very
3: uh, oh, sort of like everyone else,
1: yeah, just yeah, <laughs> exactly, like, very inauspicious end to his career. He doesn't get the, the big uh. Jerome McGinley like handshake, you know, he doesn't get the, uh, the clutch goals in the playoffs and et cetera, et cetera. Um, He doesn't really get to go out as captain Canuck. And I also have it on like fairly good authority that a lot of the Canucks leadership core over the West coast express era were actually like kind of miffed that Linden sort of, kind of fancied himself like the team's second captain particularly uh, Marcus mm. Naslin. I don't know how much that affects anything but it's just an interesting tidbit that I've heard from from credible people in the past um, but the the basically the the thrust of my opinion here is that like you know I think he he ends his career not nearly uh, as much of a household name like around the league because obviously, that comes with being so associated with one team. Like, even if you're not a fantastic player, when you have that kind of, when you're tied to a team, like the way Shane Doan is in like Shane Doan, as a counter example, is like a player who is much more well-known just because of his relationship with that franchise. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my thinking here is that, you know, let's say he ends his career as like, uh, you know, he, he peters out, in you know yeah phoenix or somewhere uh ends up taking a ends up probably have having to take a, like he doesn't he probably doesn't get to fucking like do the lens crafters thing and etc etc and open up his gym i mean maybe maybe he can still do that i don't know but i think it's more likely that he ends up taking like a small scouting position with uh with the team that he ends up with at the end of his career or whatever and most importantly he does not end up as the president of the Vancouver Canucks in 2014. And yeah. which, and I, I honestly think like Lyndon bought that regime years that they otherwise would not have had. And I also happen to think that all of this stuff about how, oh, he favored a longer rebuild and et cetera, et cetera, is all totally revisionist history. And he has his little grubby fingerprints all over that terrible fucking team and all their terrible fucking decisions and particularly like acquiring Brandon Prust, which is still a thing that just sticks in my <laughs> craw for whatever reason. And, and also I just don't like him and uh, I wish that he wasn't such a beloved Canuck. So <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a, it's something I think about a lot. I, uh, I, I feel like it feels a little bit like taking away like Blade Runner from Ridley Scott. You know, it's like, people would finally have to admit that he wasn't that great.
4: Um, I don't know. The <laughs> uh, the so an an analogy argument. that just can make people more mad at you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're overstating the importance of his final years. Fair enough. Like, I, I barely remember them, if we're being honest. like I don't... When he first came so back, he's like still...
2: two goals I remember. yeah
3: maybe he was a role player almost right away um he
1: had a couple of decent seasons
3: he had like yeah he did he wasn't that old it's it's easy to forget that now um i i think he still ends up well i don't know if the rest of the canucks story unfolds the way it did where you know the owner felt compelled to to get away from something that was serving him well under gillis i think linden no matter what still jumps to the top of that list And I think we do have a bit of a natural experiment to compare this to in Pavel Bure, who I, 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 I'll say it. This will get me canceled. I was not in favor (laughs) of retiring his jersey, not because of the way he left town because he didn't spend that much of his career in Vancouver when all of a sudden
1: I can, I can understand that.
3: It's kind of a Luongo argument in some ways, too. Um, But the thing with Bure is that fans treated him as just because he was really, really good as the most obvious guy to be the franchise representative and have his Jersey in the rafters. Yeah. And right. for similar reasons, right. It's because of what he did in, in a pretty short time. And so if it works with Bore, I don't see why it wouldn't work all the more with Lyndon who had kind of already laid down that marker. even I will,
1: earlier. I will just say though there, if you take that away from him, there are a lot of things like, he doesn't spend any time as like the games played leader. He doesn't spend any time as the team's like, yeah. all time leading scorer. Score leader, like, yeah. so it does make it, it does make a difference And his like single season numbers aren't nearly as impressive as Barry's, at least from what I remember. No, no, so, I don't know. Players. I, I, I think there's, I think there's like a case either way, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I just really, I would really love if, uh, if we could, take something away from trevor linden because <laughs> i don't like him <laughs>
2: I, I i feel like through the conversation about this counterfactual change is something about the lockout the one of you guys oh yeah out.
1: yeah no that's the real that's the real thing is uh his uh he he's not he might not be in the league anymore uh i think you could make the case like with how much of a downswing he was on after he left the canucks he mm. might not be the pa head in 2005 and uh, as a result, or oh, it's, it was the 0405 lockout. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so as a result, you know, maybe uh, top players aren't making like roughly the fucking same amount that they were now before the lockout. Um, you know, I mean, on the one hand, um, like players don't make, I would argue like nearly as much as they could um, because of what happened in that lockout. But on the other hand, you have to have like a macroeconomics degree to understand whether a deal is good now. So who's to say whether he was good at his job or not? Um,
3: anyways. Uh, I, I'm willing to give him more of the redemption arc than you are in terms yes. of him actually having come <laughs> around to, to the truth in or by 2018. But I absolutely agree with you that he was a big part of the problem in the early going and very much on the same page as Jim Benning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean that uh, that's that that last thing is like that's one of the beauties of uh, of what you had going on at the beginning of being on empty. It wasn't just oh we have a new GM he kind of sucks and he just kept sucking and sucking. Those first two years was was some Game of Thrones shit. Like obviously <laughs> we didn't have any info on it. You are our only insider there, uh, <laughs> so to speak. But uh, but there was so much to work with. Nobody knew who was in charge. None of these guys had any experience whatsoever. We all knew Lyndon was hired uh, for PR purposes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, just what a rich, uh, what what a rich history to draw draw from. So I'm excited <laughs> to go through your books for that.
1: Stephen Harper doesn't get reelected in whatever. <laughs> Maybe that
2: doesn't happen. I don't know.
1: Um, do we want to? Do You're we want to call it?
2: Yeah, we can call it now. Right, yeah. year, thank you yeah. so much for for joining us. Uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, I'm so glad we had a way to outside of the book reason to have you on because we wanted to do a post betting episode. Um, we'll probably just keep doing that with uh, other guests that we can bring on. Like we're going to be celebrating. We're going to be milking this one for a year. Oh, absolutely. It may be only have for a little
3: while, right? (laughs) Like it's 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 true
2: how how quickly things are going to turn around here. It's true. Cause you know, if this team, if the new management knows what they're doing, they're going to keep a tight lip on stuff. And so there's going to be no opportunity for us to even speculate, uh, on internal goings, yeah. Like, oh, uh, there's there's tension between Patrick with a K, Alvin, and Jim <laughs> Rutherford. Uh, Patrick Alvin threw a football at Jim Rutherford's nuts <laughs> and caught it on video. Uh, okay, Jim
4: Rutherford. You can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> It's
2: from the one video. You know, you know the reference. Okay.
4: <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Moose Kayak.
2: You can follow me on Twitter at YesRan. You can me I unlocked Yarky so 21. I could uh, Oh sorry you can <laughs> God
3: damn it <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if I supposed to I'm not a host No absolutely no, no, yeah, yeah, where, yeah, can, yeah.
1: where can people find Buy his Yarky. book
3: Yes So uh, J-Y-R-K-I-21 Or at Benning on Empty For the comic account And as I mentioned My pin tweet does have The blurb.ca links For the book If you're interested in buying it uh, And I reiterate that I'm not making money off of it So I don't really care if you do But it enjoys Right. it makes me Enjoy people enjoying it So I still want you to
1: Yes, Uh, I had a lot of fun on this one. So thanks for listening, guys. And send your hate mail mail to at Trevor Linden on Twitter. (laughs)